Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The lamb, the lamb, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world who has come to take away the sins of the world. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. I want to, uh, before we turn to the scriptures real quickly, Sister uh, Karen Barnes, uh, she visits our Bible study on occasion, and her mother passed away. And uh, the services are going to be on this coming Wednesday, I believe. And so I would just ask that you would lift her up in prayer. I want to also ask that you would remember uh, our upcoming study. We will be doing a study on spiritual discipline, spiritual disciplines as we enter into uh, the new year. Amen. Now rest your eyes with me in Luke chapter 2, beginning in the earth, eighth verse. Luke according, the gospel according to Dr. Luke. Now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Then the angel said to me, do not be afraid. Already read that. Verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill towards them, towards men. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you for all that you are already at work doing. Lord, if we had a thousand tongues, we say that with cliche attached to it many times, but the truth is we could not praise you enough. Father, there's something very, something very liberating about praising you, by, about giving you the due adoration that you alone, deser alone deserved. When we praise you, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. And so, Father, may we not allow the enemy to prevent us from acknowledging you for all that you are. And as we do that, Father, we'll find ourselves ushered into your very presence, and where you are, there's joy, 
and pleasure forevermore. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen. I want to first thank all of you for praying for me and my family uh, after a very challenging weekend of being on call for hospice. And I will not go into detail about that. I woke up on Monday morning to my wife saying that we had condensation on the archway going into uh, the kitchen. And we just recently had the house painted. We're trying to get it prepared for the members to come. So it looked like some of your houses, Minister Heyman and others, praise the Lord. A lot of his work he did himself. Amen. And then there's the rest of us that have two left hands. So I just turned over and went back to sleep. Christ strong. <laughs> Not long after that, Brandon runs into the room and he said, Dad, Dad, there's a flood in the kitchen. So I jumped up wiped the sleep from my eyes, and I saw a flood, and I said, peace. <laughs> Water was coming from the ceiling in multiple places, and so I rushed to the basement. I knew to do that, to turn the water off, and uh, didn't even think to see if the water had made its way from the, second, from the bathroom, and they saw it in the kitchen flooded into the front room, didn't even think about the basement. And uh, lo and behold, that the water did make its way into the basement. And uh, so there we were, and I'm thinking thousands of dollars. And uh, somebody said, mm-hmm, praise the Lord. So my first call, I got a plumber. And I'm expecting for an enormous price. He comes in and he shows us, shows me where the problem was. I climbs up one ladder and he showed me that somehow the pipe connected to the back of the tub had separated from the drain. And the shower water and the other water was, whenever the water was on, just flooding right into the uh, plywood and the uh, sheetrock. And there was no explanation why the separation occurred. So after he finished his work, he said $125. I figured, oh, okay, all right. No cup in the cane. You won't see me at Wawa's. Uh, so I'm thinking, just get the painter back out, do some sheep rocking, and uh, do the painting again, and we'll, we'll just uh, get the water out of the carpet and so forth. And so last call I made was to the carpet cleaner. And he says, uh, have you considered rotting wood and the possibility of mold. So what do you mean? Because there was a smell in the house. And I'm trying to make it right for my wife on Christmas. So she, she so, so after I got off the phone talking with the, the carpet cleaner, again, the last guy on the list, I called the insurance and they immediately sent out service master who promptly came in and tore the rest of the place up. And so since Friday, we've had fans going nonstop. And the house is in disarray. 
Now, I'm sharing that because I want you to understand that nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. Uh, if I had not made that last phone call, I would not have known that the wood doesn't just dry out because you put sheetrock up there. I know I'm Christ strong, but I just have to be honest. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that if you try to sell your house, one of the first questions they ask you is, have you ever had a problem with flooding? And if you say yes, which I would because I'm Christ strong, honest, they would have said, what did you do about it? And I would have had to say nothing. I just got it. And then they would have said, you, there's a possibility that you have mold. We will have to come. And, and once you have mold, the insurance doesn't cover that. And so nothing just happens. Even the smallest detail, that time when you thought that you should have been somewhere and you just didn't get there. And later you understood that nothing just happens. In Luke chapter 2, a casual reader could easily miss the supernatural hand of God at work in every detail concerning the birth of Christ. The events recorded appear on the surface as a series of unrelated events. However, we're going to discover, as I've already said, and you can tell your neighbor, nothing just happens. At least four things will help us to see that the events that transpired in the birth of Christ were not incidental, were not coincidences, but they were events that were orchestrated by the providence of God. The first thing that we're going to see is that the move from Nazareth to Bethlehem didn't just happen in verses 1 through 7. Then we're going to see that the manifestation of the angel, singular, didn't just happen. Verses 8 and 9. And then we'll see that the revelation that the shepherd received from God through the angel didn't just happen. 10, and four, 10 through 14. And finally, the things that don't just happen result in what actually transpired in the lives of the shepherds. The transformation of the shepherds didn't just happen. The things that God allows in our lives are really about conforming us to the image of Christ. That we would not be, we would not be conformed to this world, but that we would be, be, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so all of the things that are happening in your life all your plans that went awry, it just didn't happen. God wants to develop us. And sometimes what God will do is he'll test us to see if what we were really about was him or us. And the way that we know it was about us is how we respond. Somebody say amen. Amen. Hey, amen. Now, the Lord told me, don't complicate this. I'm not. This is a Christmas story. <laughs> and I kept trying to dig deeper and deeper. But the first thing is the move from Nazareth to Bethlehem did not just happen. Joseph, in verse, uh, 
going back to the chapter uh, in verse 3, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 4 actually, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, his espoused wife, who was with child. She was nine months pregnant. So it was that while they were there, the, day were, the days were completed for her to deliver. She went into labor. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth or clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room. Say no room for them in the inn. The move from Nazareth to Bethlehem didn't just happen. The census was ordered by Emperor Caesar Augustus, but it was ordained by God. Caesar Augustus ordered the census, but God ordained it. The real name of Caesar Augustus was Gaius Octavius. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, and when C Julius Caesar was murdered, when he was assassinated, he rose to the position of emperor of Rome. Octavius, wanting to be the greatest Caesar who ever lived, requested of the Senate, the Roman Senate, if he could change his name from Octavius to Augustus, which means majesty, which means deity, because he wanted to be worshiped as a god. And so his name, instead of it being uh, Caesar Octavius, it was Caesar Augustus or Caesar God. And so he ordered a census, and the purpose for the census, there were at least the two primary reasons, was for tax purpose. He wanted to know how many citizens were in his empire so he could tax you. The second reason was for military purposes, to know how he could amass more forces if needed. And then there wasn't the issue of, uh, of uh, control. Uh, if you don't know who your citizens are, you don't know how to govern them and so forth, so the census was for control. And then more than anything, with a leader like Caesar Augustus, it was for ego tripping. It was an ego thing to have the largest, most powerful empire in the world. Now, he was ruling, but God was in charge. Proverbs says that the heart of the king is in the hands of God. And he turns the heart of kings and presidents and emperors like rivers of water wherever he pleases. Jeremiah put it this way. God watches over his word to perform it, to perform it. Unknowingly, Caesar Augustus was actually an instrument of God accomplishing the will of God for the, for the birth of of the real king, King Jesus. Now the circumstances required that Joseph 
relocate from Nazareth, his home, to Bethlehem. He had to close down his carpentry business. He was a carpenter. Since he didn't have a car or a plane or a train, he had to load up his donkey, pack his donkey, and place his nine-month pregnant betrothed. In that and during that time, this wasn't an engagement, but this was considered official marriage. Even though the marriage had not been consummated, Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And so it wasn't until after the birth of Christ that there was a consummation. There was a physical union between Joseph. So Jesus had six half-brothers and sisters. And so he had to load her up, and Bethlehem from Nazareth was 80 miles. If you were driving the car at the regular, regular speed, it would take us an hour and a half. Or if you're driving on a donkey, it would take about four days. So here you have a pregnant wife traveling to a new place. You had to shut down your business, be inconvenienced, forced into a hurry-up situation. And because Caesar Augusta really thought he was in charge, he, he just put everybody's life in an upheaval. But I want you to understand that when your life is an upheaval, when everything seems to be out of control, when it seems like the enemy is winning, nothing just happens. God is yet in control. Now, when they finally obediently arrived, because you never read anywhere where Joseph or Mary complained. I can't imagine taking my wife anywhere in the ninth month, and that ain't going to be a problem. But there, all the hotels are booked. There's no Christiana Hospital or Wilmington Hospital. They don't even have a St. Francis Hospital. There's no room in the inn. And so they have to lodge in a stable for animals. And then the place for bed for this child that was ultimately going to be born was an animal's trough, a place where they fed and drank. I don't know if all the travel and the, 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 the stress of the experience, but the Bible says as soon as they got there and were in the end, Mary went into labor. I don't, it doesn't say that Joseph was there. doesn't say any midwives were there. I don't know how that woman had that baby. She might have had to handle it by herself. I'm not sure if a woman can, but it doesn't say how. But she, here she is in a stable. Ladies, can you imagine having a baby in an animal stall? That was Mary. That was Joseph. But nothing just happened. I can imagine she must have been hungry. I, maybe she sent Joseph out to get some McDonald's or Burger King, but they didn't, have no, they didn't have nowhere to get any fast food. There was no such thing during this time. Now watch the details of this. Joseph's family line was from Bethlehem. He was of the lineage of David, and God promised David, uh, from, the, from your loins there will rise up a king whose kingdom and scepter will be forever. 
he was, so this is the royal aspect of the promise that the Messiah was going to come through the loins of David, who was from the tribe of Judah. And so in this case, Joseph unknowingly, he wasn't connecting the dots. He wasn't reading no scripture. He didn't have the Bible like we do. Joseph was betrothed to a woman, in this case, as I've already said, a virgin named Mary, who was going to be God's eternal, was going to be the mother of God's eternal son. She had to cooperate. I don't know what he did to convince her to get on that donkey. I don't know what she, he did. But she followed him. Joseph had to get to where he was supposed to be, unknown to him because of a promise God made 700 years earlier through the prophet Micah. But to you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. Jesus was predicted to be born in Bethlehem. So it was that while she was there, the child was born. Now, she didn't have any baby shower clothes. The Bible says she wrapped them in straps of clothes. Torn rags. That's what Jesus was wrapped in. But no evidence of complaining. No evidence that somehow uh, God wasn't in it, but there's, no, there's nothing that says that one way or the other. But what's interesting is when we consider in terms of our own individual lives, we didn't get an opportunity to choose our parents. You didn't get an opportunity to choose where you were going to be born. You didn't get a chance to choose your name. That was selected for you. You didn't get a chance to choose your height, the color of your skin, your DNA, how you would be formed. But the Bible says, while we were yet being formed in our mother's womb, God knew us. Not only did he know us, he had already determined beforehand what your purpose would be in this life. And with the purpose that God had already predetermined for us, he gave us abilities. He, he anointed us to serve. He gave us spiritual gifts. He gave us talents. And he said of us when he got finished, creating in his mind before there was conception. In the mind of God, you already existed. But when the actual transaction of conception occurred, God said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I didn't make a mistake. Nothing just happened. Everything that is there, every hair on your head, I designed it. Whatever your configuration is bodily, I don't know what they say is the perfect figure, but guess who designed? You're made by God. You're fearfully and you're wonderfully made. You are a masterpiece from the master. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on the side of it. You matter to the Lord. Joseph moved from Nazareth to Bethlehem, thinking that it was Caesar who he was obeying, but in fact it was the hand of God at work to make his will come to pass. I wonder if you can look at what is going on in your life from the perspective of God. The Bible says that everything that we can see is passing away, but that which we cannot see 
is eternal. Can you, can you see back, looking back on your life, that in fact God was causing all things, not some of the things. The things that you thought were unfair, the things that you wondered, where are you, God? The things that made you cry at night, the things that caused you to think, I wish I was dead. Have you ever said that? I wish I was dead. Why was I married to, or married to this or brought into this family? And yet when you look back, every single detail... The reason you are as strong as you are today, the reason why you can be as effective as you are today is because God was fashioning you through those details of your experience to get you out of your Nazareth, to bring you to a place called Bethlehem, the house of bread. Isn't it interesting that he moved to the house of bread so that the bread of life could be born, the bread of life? There's some things that God wants to birth in your experience, but in order for that to occur, he's going to have to stir the nest. He's going to have to make your life uncomfortable. There's going to have to be some trials and tribulations. And the Bible says when they come, not if they come, count it all joy. Get excited because God is about to do something. He's about to birth something in Bethlehem. It may be in a stall. It may be in an inn, but whatever God brings, through your experience, it will be for your good and his glory. Augustus thought he was in charge, but God was ruling through his omnipotence. Here's another thing. The manifestation of the angels just didn't happen. Now there was, in verses 8 and 9, as in the same country, shepherds living on the field, living out on the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shined around them. God has a way of getting our attention. The angel didn't show up just because he was, had some free time. The angel was on assignment. Now, I want you to notice four things that were on display in this chapter. Four things. The first of the four was idolatry was on display in the palace. Caesar Augustus, divinity, one of the gods. So back in Rome, he's flaunting himself as being majestic. He threw military might in, 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 in his in, in, in his. Uh, tyrannical acts was, was forcing people in his presence to kiss his ring and to bow in his presence to try to force worship. How many of you know you can't force people to worship? If you're forced to worship, that ain't worship. <laughs> True worship is spontaneous. That's why the Bible says God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, spontaneously and authentically. You, we, we worship God in response to revelation. But it's an act of the will. I know you go to these churches. If you love God, give me a high five. If you love Jesus, why don't you kick your foot out a little bit? If you love Jesus, why don't you, why don't you tap dance? And if you love Jesus, you, can't, you cannot orchestrate the move of God. So in Rome, on display was idolatry, the worship of man. While in the stable, what was on display was purity, Jesus born of a virgin, without the sin nature of Adam. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our struggles, but Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He was sinless. And so in Rome, on the palace, there's idolatry. In the, in the, in the stable with the animals, there's purity. But on the field of Bethlehem, represented through the shepherds was depravity. You see, the shepherds were outcasts. They were considered unclean. In fact, one of the lowest things that a Jew could do is take care of sneaking sheep. The only reason why sheep were available was that they were used, the sheep were used for Passover lambs. They were used for the sacrifice in the temple, but the, the shepherds who were taking care of the Passover lambs and the sacrifices for sin, notice this, that the sin that the, blame, the blemishless lamb would, would, would be used to die for would only cover sin temporarily. But the true Passover lamb, the true priest, high priest, would come and not only cover our sin, but remove our sins. And so you have the shepherds on the field, because of the dirty nature of their work, they represent our sin condition. The Bible says we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. We were separated from God without any hope. We were sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd's work represents depravity. We are, we were, we, before we knew Jesus, we were as bad as we could be. We were born without a spiritual pulse. We were born with a spiritual flat line. I know the doctor slapped us on the backside. We went, ah, like we were alive. And, and he checked us, you know, our hearts were checked with a, you know, with a stethoscope, et cetera. And there was a heartbeat and there was a, uh, we were breathing. But when God checked our pulse, because we were not in Christ, we were dead. We were born separated. And so on the field, there was depravity, depravity, sin nature. Well, aren't you glad God chooses the foolish things of the world to confuse those things that consider themselves wise? And, and so in the angels, so you've got on display in Rome, idolatry. On the field, you've got depravity. In the manger, you've got purity. But in the person of the angel dispatched by God, you have a display of mercy. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. The Bible says that his mercies are new every day. If it had not been for the mercies of God, some of you don't understand this, we would be consumed. And that's why the mercies of God need to be plentiful. They need to be new every day because I, I use all mine up. Everything, I know I max them out. I don't know about you, but <laughs> I have no mercy in reserve. I, I need new mercies every day. I'm so glad that great is hit. Because if it was about my faithfulness, let me just be honest, I would be in trouble. If it was about your faithfulness, but great is his. Great is his faithfulness. I'm talking about the manifestation that just didn't happen. When the angels showed up, God was giving us a picture of that time. We have, a, we have a situation today where we're constantly giving credit. I see people that walk away from accidents that there's no way that they were able to survive unless God intervened. But people don't give God the glory. 
Well, I think the engineer maneuvered at the last second. And you better not be trusting in that engineer. You better not be trusting in that pilot. You better not be trusting in your Zan. I'm going to sleep the whole way through. That, that Zantech will give out, but you need to be trusting in the Lord. What was on display? I want you to understand that nothing just happens. Nothing just happens. Now, what's interesting is that the angel, that the angel, was sent to to the unclean first. How many of you understand that no man can come to the Father except the Spirit? God loved you first. <laughs> He took the first step. We weren't seeking after God. The Bible says we were all like sheep who had gone astray, and God pursued us through his son. The angel stood before them before he spoke. Sometimes we entertain angels, and we don't even know. That person that you're sitting by, no, no, you know that person. But that person that you might bump into later today may be an angel that God brings into your path. The angel of the Lord stayed at Lot's house. He was so carnal, unspiritual, so religious that he didn't even know God was in his house. I want you to know that the angels stood before the, before the shepherds. They didn't know what they were looking at. The glory of the Lord shone around them, the brightness of God. When we talk about the glory of God being physically manifest, manifested, viewed and seen, the display in the Bible, it's always a brightness. There's a radiance. It's a, in the night, there's the sun shining. I want you to know what God will do to get our attention from the natural is that he will show off when he shows up. And so now they're not thinking about sheep anymore. They're thinking about what is this? I want you to understand that what, when we are in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of purity, we got a problem because like these shepherds, we are unclean. We're ceremony. We can't, like uh, uh, Isaiah said, when he understood he was in the presence of the Lord, he said, the angel's supposed to be here and the altar's supposed to be here. He said, woe is to me, woe unto me. I'm a man, I'm a cusser. I ain't supposed to be up in here. If you see the, if you actually are in the presence of the Lord, you're afraid that you're going to die. I want you to know if you've never experienced the presence of the Lord, I understand why you don't praise him. I understand why you don't find yourself sometimes flat on your face. Because the presence of the Lord is so, so overpowering when you don't understand it. In this case, most instances, when the presence of the Lord showed up, people were afraid. They were afraid. And here's what you need to know. When everything seemed to be out of control, when life seems to be unfair, when you don't know where you fit anymore because there's no room in the inn, no room at your job, no room at the church, no room in your marriage, whatever. God, what he does, he shows up. God will, in, in, in mysterious ways, you just know he's here. You can't, you can't explain it. He just, the angel just appeared. And guess what? He knows where you are, and he knows how to reveal himself to you in such a way that you will stop focusing on everything else but him. God knows how to get our attention, doesn't he? He will show up. The manifestation that you're seeing in your experience didn't just happen. The Lord appears in the midst of our situation. Now, notice what God will do, because manifestation without revelation 
leads to confusion. If God would just heal, if God would just deliver, I want to see somebody, I want to see somebody delivered from demons. I want to see somebody falling from the mouth. I want to see somebody choking on, you see all of that, but nobody opened up the word. We had an amazing time in church today. Oh, wasn't it good? We just praised the Lord. Everybody was happy. And so well, what was the word about? Well, I don't know what he preached about. I can't even tell you what chapter was in. It might not have been. I think it was the Quran today. Next week it'll be the Mishnah and the Talmud. But, but, but it was good. When there is manifestation, when God shows up in your situation, to let you know that things just don't happen, you can just wait on the revelation. The Bible says that the angel spoke. And here's what the angel said. Here's the first thing the angel said. When we are going through and we don't know how it's going to work out and we, we think it's unfair, why am I having to leave my job? Why did they give me the pink slip? And it just doesn't make any sense. The first thing that the angel says, stop being afraid. When you're afraid, you know you ain't trusting God. How do you know? Because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The Bible says, don't fear men, but rather fear him who's able to destroy both body and soul. And beyond that, to send you to hell. The angel says, stop being afraid. Then the angel tells them, why they need to stop being afraid. Why we don't, as Christians, you don't need to be afraid. I don't know what the doctor just told you. I don't know what the, this final tax bill is going to mean to, to Medicare and social. I don't know. But I know uh, that God is still in control. He says, here's why you don't need to be afraid. I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy, which will be to how many? All people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who's, who is the Christ, the Lord. The Son of God is born today. We don't have any reason to fear because Jesus came into the world. We don't know if it was the 25th of December. All I care about is the fact that we have a day that is set aside where everybody around the world acknowledges the King of Kings. And the Lord of oh Lords. And then the angels tell, tells them how to recognize the Savior. When you go to the city of Bethlehem, here's what you're going to be looking for. You don't go down to the mayor's office. Don't go to the governor's office. Don't go to Rome to, to see uh, a Caesar Augustus. I want you to go to a stall. God does work in mysterious ways. That thing that you've been overlooking, that thing you've been looking down on, that thing that you just maybe even despise is not attractive. That was because it ain't wrapped right. I want you to know that that thing that ain't wrapped right under the wrapper may be the savior of the world, may be that promise that God has made you. But if you can look beyond the natural eye, I want you to know that the revelation that the angel gave that didn't just happen. Here's the message for us. When we're going through and we're in that dark place and it seems like a dry and barrenness in our life, not only does God show up, but he will speak to you. He gave the angels direction. He told them what to do. He told them where to go. He told them what to expect. Have you heard the voice of the Lord lately? You are to pant after the voice of God and the presence of God like a deer who's desperate for water. 
Because when you get a taste of the Lord, you will see that he's sweet. And he's more important than my necessary food. He's sweeter than a honey on a honeycomb. I know my wife has a good kiss, but ain't nobody like Jesus. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I wonder if you, if you can just get desperate enough, if you can get sincere enough, if you really get serious about being in the presence of the Lord, if you would press past your pride, press past your busy schedule, press past all of your inhibitions and make your goal in 2018. Lord, I just want to taste and see. I heard they say that you're good. I heard them say that in your presence there's joy and peace forevermore. I just want to see and taste for myself. I want you to understand that nothing just happens. Somebody say amen. amen. The move to Nazareth wasn't just an accident. The manifestation wasn't an accident. The revelation wasn't just an accident. It didn't just happen. Now the final thing, we'll be done. The transformation of the shepherds didn't just happen. The shepherds started off as watchers, spectators. You came to church. Here's some good preservation music. Back in the day, we come to church to show off our clothes. Come on. Amen. I ain't the only one. Unfortunately, I only had one suit. Sometimes that bad boy got wore every day, but I would change my ink pen. I have a different ink pen every week, and it, every day that meant they was new. You know, they didn't know. How could they know? And the one suit I had, was you could, it was dual-sided, so you could turn it on the other side. It was, it was striped and gray on one side. It was all black on the other side. And I had me a man from Uncle Briefcase. So I, I, was, I always thought I was important in a doctor or something. And so they started off as watchers, as spectators. Now, it's always funny to me when people, and I'm not picking on anybody, uh, may start sitting in the back of the church, and then we have Sundays when you don't, there are no seats. You're forced to sit up way up front like Sister Connie. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not calling anybody's names. But I've always, from as long as I've known the Lord, whenever I could, if I was somewhere, I want to be right up front. I don't want to miss nothing. I don't want to see anybody's head. I don't want to be distracted. I want to be so close that I, I mean, literally, whatever God had for me, so I, I didn't want to be a spectator. So they started off as spectators. They were watching over the Passover lambs. I've already said that. Little did they know that on that day, the true Passover lamb was born. The shepherds became workers when the angel said, go to the city of David, go to Bethlehem, because today in a manger was born a child. They didn't do like some of us would do. They simply obeyed. Some of us can't experience the presence of the Lord because we want some deep, religious, euphoric, emotional. He knocked me down. I was walking in the door and I fell down. And I was on concrete, but I didn't hurt my head. No. No, the way this works is the, the light that God gives, if you respond to it, the light becomes brighter. God is not obligated to give you additional revelation, additional truth, until you've obeyed the, the truth that he's already given to you. 
And what happens is the more obedient you are, even though it goes against our flesh, you find yourself being drawn closer to the Lord because the Bible says draw nigh unto him and he'll draw nigh unto you. But in order to draw close to God, he said in that same passage in James, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you because God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So they went from watchers to workers. And then verse 17 says, when they had seen him, have you seen him? Have you seen him? I want you to understand, once you've seen him, you can serve him. Once you've seen him, you're not going to be the same. When you come into his presence, you don't leave the way you came. When they saw him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. Then they become witnesses. I know we got an evangelism team and a missions team and that kind of thing, but every Christian ought to be a witness. The question is, have you seen him? <laughs> I'm talking about seeing him in his resurrection power, seeing him in his transformating power. Have you seen him in your midnight hour? Have you seen him when your tears were rolling down your cheek? Have you seen him when he intervened in your family situation? Have you seen him? And when you've seen him, you've got a testimony. And when you've got a testimony, you can tell somebody. Have you seen him? They went from watchers to workers to witnesses. Are you telling anybody about Jesus? One of, the, one of the traditions that we have in our family, before we open any gifts, we read the story of the birth of Christ. And then we celebrate, we, we give him honor. We, this is his birthday that we're recognizing. We exchange gifts because the greatest gift of all has been given to us. It's one thing to be a witness, but there's a whole nother level of experiencing God. They went from witnessing to this. The Bible says in verse 20, then the shepherds returned doing what? Glorifying and praising God for all the things that he had, they had heard and seen. And it was told to them the word of God was fulfilled. They became worshipers. When you seen him, and you start telling folk about him and you begin to experience the power of God working on you and through you. Guess what you're going to begin to do? You're going to start giving him glory. You're going to start giving him honor. You're going to begin to worship him as they did. Because they came to understand that nothing, nothing. I, I, I know you thought it was a mistake. I, I know you would have done it differently. And I know you tried to figure it out. And, and the Bible does say if any man lack wisdom, you can ask of God. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you the ability to, to understand it. But what he's going to tell you when, the, when everything is said and done, it just didn't happen. Stand with me. I don't know what your worst day was. It may still be in front of you. But whatever that may be. You need to understand that God is yet sitting on his throne. I want you to understand that because of him, by faith, the Bible says that with God, nothing shall be impossible. But don't think that in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your transference from, from, your, from your Nazareth to God's Bethlehem, 
that you're going to have to live by faith. You're going to have to trust him for what you can't see because he's already declared it. Stand on what God has said. In 2018, understand that whatever he promised, God is not a man that he should lie. Has he ever let you down? Has he ever gone back on his word? Has he ever forsaken you? Hasn't he been there when nobody else was? Hasn't he been there for you when nobody understood you and you couldn't even understand yourself? Have you ever felt like giving up? But then that quiet and still voice whispered to you, don't go right, don't go left, but just stand, stand, stand. Because nothing, Nothing just happens. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you. We thank you. How you orchestrated every detail. Going even back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you said that the devil, he would be mortally wounded. But the child that would be born, his head would be bruised. And Father, that promise was kept. Every promise you've ever made, you've kept it. May we understand that your hand is at work. May we simply be obedient. In Jesus' name.